Well, good morning again. Um, again, we're hoping to get this uh, this worship thing and uh, the mix figured out, but but we really know that that this is not a replacement um, for the gathering together. We we hunger and long to be here in that fullness of God's presence and uh, and worshiping together as we worship uh, God and lift up lift up His Son Jesus. So I, I hope you're longing for that too. The days where we can come in. I don't know about you. This week, I just I really needed a hug. Like I wanted, I miss, I'm missing hugs, right? And handshakes. And so I may have tried to contaminate somebody by giving them a hug, but probably only one person and it's okay. It might probably was my son, Wesley. Anyway, um, give some hugs to your family. Make sure you get that hug going and connect with folks uh, as you need to. Um, we're going to be in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 19. If you would grab your Bible and turn there, uh, we'll turn there together. Uh, I know Alistair puts down the verses here, so you can kind of follow along. Uh, we'll be jumping around to those today. We won't look all of those up. I may reference some of those, uh, but I wanted to make sure you had them there. Also available on our on our webpage. Uh, if you're using a smartphone, you can go to our website, fbcmountshasta.com, and you can click on today's current sermon notes, and you can bring those up. That has all of the, uh, it's like the sermon notes we would put in the bulletin insert. <clears throat> it also has the discussion questions on it as well, uh, which we will put up on this video at the conclusion of our service today. So you can pause it and, and have a conversation with your family regarding those questions. Well, we are, again, in Luke 19, and, and uh, I said earlier, it kind of snuck up on us. You know, Dane and I had met uh, Monday, and or actually visited Sunday afternoon last week about the next Habakkuk sermon, and we thought about some songs, and we're kind of getting ready for that. And then Monday, I realized, oh, wait, it's, it's going to be Palm Sunday, and we needed to shift gears there and go a different direction. God just really wanted to, I'm sure, us to focus on Christ and his triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. So we're going to look at that today. Uh, as we do, I, I really want you to be thinking about uh, this question, uh, it's this, is Jesus the Savior that you want or is he the Savior that you need? I think as we look at Christ's triumphal entry, we're going to see lots of different folks in this picture of, of Christ's entry, and, but a lot of people aren't, aren't really wanting him to be the Savior that they need, they're wanting him to be the Savior that they want. And, and sometimes we put Jesus in that category for our lives as well. And my hope for you is that you're not doing that, that you actually understand the depth of your own need and the depth of your need for him as Savior, Savior of your soul, Savior of your heart, uh, the one who will guard that heart uh, all into eternity by the forgiveness he offers through what he's accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. You know, the, the people in, uh, in Israel and Jerusalem during that time, they were waiting for a Messiah, but the Messiah they were waiting for was the one that would come to rule and reign with power over all their enemies. Little did they understand that the greatest enemy that they had was themselves and their own sinful heart, that they needed redemption. They needed to be forgiven of their sins. And that's what Jesus came to do. So we're going to look at that a little more in depth today. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll read our passage out of Luke chapter 19. Father, we come to you today just honored and humbled to worship you in this way, to learn from you in this way. God, what a strange way we are all gathered together today via the internet, sitting at home. Um, God, maybe you're, maybe some are listening as they drive. Um, God, I just know that uh, you are to be, to be honored today. And we, we are here to learn from you. We're here to offer ourselves to you. God, I pray that you would humble our hearts before you right now. God, you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to you and the message of your gospel, the message of your son, Jesus. God, it's our desire that we would be conformed into the image of the Son, that, God, we would be looking more and more like Jesus every day. And, God, we would understand uh, just how deeply we need Him. 
to be a savior of our soul. Not just of our circumstances, but of our soul. That he came to give us eternal life. Spiritual, eternal life. We thank you for that. We ask that you guide our time now as we look at your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in the book of Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 28 and read through verse 44 together. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it's been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Well, let's look at that today. I think that last part of that passage is really important for us to see. Uh, they did not recognize the time when God visited them. When we look at the triumphal entry, you and I have to have this heart that's humbly set to see this time that God is visiting us. Uh, for all of us watching today, while all of us listening or tuning into this, uh, we are in a place right now to hear something from God. That God is stirring something in our heart. And you and I have this responsibility to respond from a humble heart. A heart that is responding in faith in Christ. So today we're going to look at the triumphal entry. And we're going to look at four things that, that we can learn from the triumphal entry. And I know there's more than that. But today we're going to look at four of them. Number one is this. The king is the king of kings. And so we see Jesus in this passage. If you look at verses 28 through 25, he, he said these things. He went out ahead uh, going up to Jerusalem. And it says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples on ahead. And he said to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter, you're going to find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. 
Now, here's kind of the, the setting of this. You know, for, in, in Luke, especially Luke's gospel, about the middle of Luke on, I think it's around chapter 9 on, it is the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. It's, it's the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. And we could really argue that, that the beginning of Jesus' life was the beginning of his journey to the cross. But once he started that journey towards Jerusalem, that is where he went. And he knew the time was going to be right for him to enter. And the time was not going to be right for him to assume rule and reign over Jerusalem and over Rome. The time was going to be right for him to die. But as he knew that he is the Son of God, that he is the Anointed One, he's the Messiah, there's some things that are pointed out here that we see. First, he says, go and get this young donkey, this colt, this foal of a donkey. And it's not ever been ridden before. You know, kings liked new things, things that were unused, right? So he says, go get that donkey. But, but in this day and age with, with Rome and the surrounding regions, when you had a king, that king rode in on a stallion, a, a white horse, this brute of a horse showing majesty and power. But what Jesus is referring to here are a couple of things. Number one, if you go back and look at Solomon and David and their coronation as kings, they used a mule or a donkey. There was, there was, this was kind of the heritage of the line of David. So when Jesus says, go get a donkey, what he's saying is, I'm the Messiah of the line and the house of David. I'm the king, and this is how we do things. But what he also said is, at this time, I am the king that is coming as a humble servant. I'm coming as a humble servant. I'm going to ride humbly just as I came to earth as a baby in a lowly way, lying in a manger with, with no room for me anywhere. I'm coming to Jerusalem lowly, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. I'm not coming with majesty and victory and power. I'm coming with humility to serve and to seek and save the lost. Now, Jesus had just come previously from this chapter in chapter 18. Come, he had come from raising Lazarus from the dead and, and then meeting Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ. And those are some stories you can go look at with your family. But there was this large fame and renown growing around Jesus, especially after raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead and it said he's been in there four days. It stinks. And he raised Lazarus from the dead and people came from the outlying villages to see not only Lazarus alive, but to meet the one who rose him from the dead. So this had all preceded him. His reputation went before him. So as he's coming, people know the Messiah is coming. That's why when they go into the city and say, hey, I, we need this donkey. The Lord has need of it. The owner's like, oh, the Lord. We, we heard about him. We know about him. By all means, please send the donkey to the Lord. People were ready for this Lord, for this Messiah to come and rule and reign physically over Israel and to, and to take care of all the enemies. Uh, we see that uh, in, in Mark chapter 11, uh, they actually gave permission. They, they asked, or they answered, uh, because Jesus needs it, let, let them go. Let them, let them take it. That was in Mark chapter 11. And then what we see also is some prophecy that is proclaimed. Uh, Matthew in chapter 21 of this account of Jesus' triumphal entry, he says that uh, this all took place when he's talking about the donkey. It took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. And that prophet was Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Re Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we looked at this, the idea that, that it's associated with kingship, right? This donkey mule uh, is associated with kingship in the line of David but it's also associated with humility. And, and what I really want us to see, as we've seen the, the prophecy, there's another prophecy here as well in Isaiah chapter 9. And this is something that was 
really clung on to by, by Israel. They, they knew that he was coming. But as they would cling on to something like Isaiah chapter 9, they would overlook Isaiah chapter 53 where he was going to be crucified and killed and spit on and mocked. They wanted him to rule and reign. And here's what Isaiah 9 says, verses 6 through 7. This is our Christmas passage, right? It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. Israel is waiting for this victorious king that will reign supreme. And, and rightly so, it says that he will. But before he rules and reigns victoriously, uh, there's this, these words that, I don't know if you caught them in Zechariah. I, I thought it was really impressive here. Zechariah says, look, your king is coming. He is righteous, right? And victorious and humble. He's righteous and victorious and humble. I think he's righteous as he's humble and he's righteous as he's victorious. He is righteous as he's humble because he's the one that's coming to give us his righteousness. He's coming in, in peace, coming to die, to lay himself down as a sacrifice for our sins. And we'll see that all through Holy Week this week as you look at the devotions in the evenings and as we get to the culmination of that uh, on Good Friday and then the, the victory that we see on Easter Sunday, on, on Resurrection Sunday. That, that's what we're going to see, this victory. But we're seeing this in righteousness. He's coming humbly to serve us, to give us His righteousness, to extend forgiveness to us. So at this point in time in history, He's not coming to rule and reign, not at least over Jerusalem and Israel and the world and have dominion that's vast. He's coming to reign and rule in our hearts. He's coming to fix the problem that we all really have in us. So we see he is righteously humble and he's and, and he will be at one point, as, as Isaiah points out, he'll be righteously victorious. He is the perfect king, the truest sense of a king. There are kings who are maybe passive and just serve. And then there are kings who are are totally victorious and conquering. Jesus is this perfect blend of both. He righteously comes in, in humility to serve us and to save us and to gather a people unto Himself. And then He righteously rules victoriously over all of His enemies and justly over His people. That's who He is. He gives Himself for His people so we can have peace with God. Then He'll come as a mighty victor triumphing over His enemies and ruling and reigning forever. This crowd wanted him to rule and reign victoriously. Rule and reign victoriously over, over Israel and Jerusalem, over, over Rome. They wanted their enemies to be squashed like bugs. But that is not what he came to do, at least initially. This time he came riding on a donkey, but one day he will come riding on a horse with a sword out of his mouth to judge the nations. We see that in Revelation. He truly is the King of Kings. Number two, we see that the King is worthy of worship. The King is worthy of worship. So let's see, it goes on here in verse 36 of Luke, that they've just got Jesus up on the donkey and this, this foal, this colt. And it, and it says, as He was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. 
Now he came near to the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, let's look at a couple things here. They are being submissive. They, and, and why are they praising? That's the question. What kind of Messiah was He? He was a powerful one. And what they're praising Him is they, they began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. He had just raised Lazarus. A tax collector had come to know forgiveness and he, he extended forgiveness to someone like that. But what they saw is this, these powerful signs and wonders and, and they wanted those, the power that was involved in, in those miracles to be what Jesus exhibited towards Rome and what, what He would do in Jerusalem to rule and reign and to get rid of corruption or whatever had to happen, that they, they would all be under His feet. Under His feet. Where did they lay their clothes? They laid them on the ground under His feet. They were submitting to Him as subjects of the kingdom. They said, we're ready for your rule. We're ready for you to, to take charge here. We'll put our clothes down on the ground. Uh, we saw in Mark's, uh, in Mark's account of this, he's in chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, it said, many people spread their clothes on the road and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. This is Palm Sunday, right? Palm branches put down. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. That's interesting. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So as they're, they're shouting this, it says, those who went ahead and those who followed. Jesus, again, had this large crowd. At this point in the time in his ministry, this large crowd was gathering. Some would estimate this is 100,000 people or more that are gathering, are gathering around Jesus. Now listen, they're going into the city for Passover. There could be up to 2 million people who gather in Jerusalem at this time. And there's 100,000 or more people now around Jesus, praising Jesus, putting their cloaks and clothes down and branches down before Jesus, submitting to His rule. They want Him to rule. And they say, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. And, and they're saying, you who are the king from David, the one that's going to rule and reign, the one whose kingdom is going to be vast, save your people now. Again, is He the Messiah that they want or is He the Messiah that they need? And, and who will we invite to be triumphant in our lives? Are we inviting the one we need or the one that we want? They were reciting and knowing Psalm 118, verse 26. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. They knew this was the Messiah. They just didn't know what He was there to save them from. They said, we're with you. We've seen your power. We've seen your authority. Let's take back Jerusalem. One of the things they said earlier, they said, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. You know, what they're thinking is that as God in His, in His heavenly dwelling is watching and seeing what's happening in Jerusalem, they, they think that there's no way that God can be at peace with what's happening to them. And that He will only be at peace when His King comes to rule and reign and to take out the trash. That's, that's what they're hoping for. But they don't understand that God, the peace that God is really extending, is a peace between each individual person and their King. It's so important for us to know that. It's so important for us to to recognize that Jesus is visiting us, that we could then, through Christ, make peace with God for eternity. 
He is worthy. He is worthy not only because He will one day rule and reign, but because He can rule and reign in your hearts still today. And He's asking. He wants that. If, if, you, if you haven't believed in faith and trusted the Lord Jesus for your salvation, if you're still expecting Him to be some other Savior, the Savior you want, the Savior that saves you from your circumstance, the Savior that saves you from your, your medical condition, the Savior that saves you from your financial ruin. That's not the Savior that He's meant to be for us. He's meant to be the Savior who comes to make peace with God. Through our sin, we've separated ourselves from God and He wants us to be made right. He wants to rule and reign in our hearts. And we should worship Him because of that. And Jerusalem, one of the things about Jerusalem, they wanted to see the Messiah come and rule and reign. But when Jesus said, I want to give you peace, I want to come to rule and reign in your heart, He was not just thinking about Jerusalem. He was the promised seed not only of, of David or promised of the line of David, He was the promised seed of Abraham. And through Abraham's seed, many nations would be blessed. Jesus came in His triumphal entry to Jerusalem to rule and reign the hearts not only of those in Jerusalem, but to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth that anyone, whosoever would believe in Him, would have eternal life. He came to bring that peace. Well, what else do we see here in this triumphal entry? As He progresses down this Mount of Olives, this path, we see that the King, the king weeps over false peace and over hard hearts. The king weeps over false peace and hard hearts. Verses 39 through 42. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd, now that, listen, they're just praising him for all the wonders he had done. They're worshiping him, they're elevating him. There's an insurrection rising from the eyes of the Pharisees. What kind of Messiah do the Pharisees want Jesus to be? They don't want him to be the Messiah at all, they want him to be a good teacher. Someone who can maybe not stir the pot as much. Just let the status quo be. Let the people have, have a source of hope and joy, but don't stir the pot. Don't ruin our authority. Because if, if Jesus did come as a ruler, He would overthrow Rome. And if they over, He overthrew Rome, all of the leadership that Rome had allowed to establish, the religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, right, that would be gone. They would lose their power. So it says some of the, Pharise some of the Pharisees from the crowd told Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now listen, these, these crowds were people who were afraid of the people like the Pharisees. But when you have 100,000 or more of these followers or so-called followers of Christ, there's no way the Pharisees can get a handle on that crowd. There's no way they can even incite fear in that crowd. They will do it eventually. They will undergird Jesus and they will take the crowd away because although this is Palm Sunday and they're, they're joyously worshiping God, what happens by Friday? They begin to scream and crucify Him. So here we see this false peace and hard hearts. And, and the Pharisee said, Teacher, you rebuke your disciples. He wanted, wanted Jesus to say, Stop worshiping Me. I'm not God. I'm not the Messiah. Well, how does He respond? He said, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The stones would cry out. We've seen that before, haven't we? 
Uh, we see uh, all, uh, lots of places through Scripture where there are inanimate objects, things of God's creation that, that worship. The trees of the field will clap their hands, right? We see this worship of God. But, but this is not the same type of elevation of worship. When it says the stones will cry out, the word here, cry, is, is actually scream out with this, this painful groaning. And, and they'll cry out in judgment against them. If worship was to subside, judgment was, was to be elevated. And, and that's what he says here. He goes on, he says, As they approached the city, uh, he wept for it, saying that if you knew this day would, uh, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. He's saying, Listen, there is something I'm coming to bring peace. And, and if you only understood what was going on in this day, and it wasn't just of that day, it was in the life and ministry of Jesus. What he had come to do was to seek and save the lost. If they would just understood that he was there to bring peace in people's hearts and reconcile them back to God through the forgiveness of their sin, they would understand. But they didn't understand. It's now hidden from their eyes. Let's look at that cry out again. Uh, that, where we've seen that recently is in the book of Habakkuk. Right? We're going through that as a series. And in chapter 2, we see this, this people and these hard-hearted folks rejecting anything to do with God. They want to elevate themselves. And in 2, 9-11, through 11, it says, Woe to him! who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, house to place, it, uh, place his nest on high in order to escape the grasp of disaster. You see, people want comfort. They want security. So they'll do what they can to make that happen. Even Israel now, as they are welcoming the Messiah, what they're welcoming is a ruler who will give them comfort, who will help them escape disaster, worldly disaster. It says in verse 10, you have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. And we saw that this was divine judgment, that eventually this takes place in Daniel. And we see the story behind this where, the, where there is someone writing on the wall and it's saying your days are done. Your, your uh, desire, your ability to escape your own disaster is never going to come to fruition. You will find ruin. And what Jesus came to proclaim is that you will never escape disaster apart from Christ. That's the message He gives us. You'll never escape disaster apart from Christ. So what was Christ doing here? He saw the hardness of their hearts. He's saying, if you only knew in this day what would bring you peace, but you don't. He was handing them over then to their hardness. It was judgment. If you want to not believe, then fine, don't believe. Think about that. Sometimes we think that's harsh. God hardens someone's heart. The truth is that we harden our own heart, that we stand before God and reject Him. And as we reject Him, we will not receive Him. We will not come to know Him. We will not humble ourselves until we come to a deeper despair in our relationship and understanding of our, our separation from God. So God allows us and even pushes our heart harder so we would find more despair more hardness, more emptiness, so that at one point in time, our hearts could melt, our hearts could soften, our hearts would be ready and malleable to, to receive Christ as Savior, to believe in faith that He is the way, the truth, and the life. But they were hardening, hardening their hearts, and he, he handed them over to this hardness. This was the sovereign Jesus who came to Jerusalem. Listen, he, it says He wept. And this weeping, this, this is like this uncontrollable, absolute sorrow that he's weeping. And I want us to understand something clearly. This was not a surprise to Jesus. The hardness of hearts that he found there was not a surprise. He knew, he knew he was going to be handed over and killed. 
He knew they would not receive him as the Messiah that they needed. He knew that. That's why he was weeping. He didn't come finding a surprise there. He knew what he was going to find. He sees that. We see that in Luke chapter 18. He takes the disciples. This is a previous chapter, right? Uh, he took the 12 aside and said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him and he will rise on the third day. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful truth? But Jesus pulls his disciples apart and says, listen, this is what's about to happen. This is where we're going. But it goes on, it says, they understood none of these things. The meaning of these sayings was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. And we're, we're going to see next week, we're going to look at the disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. And, and we're going to see how, how it becomes clear in our heart. But one of the things I, I want us to point out is in that conversation on the road to Emmaus after he rises from dead, he's speaking there with two disciples. He, say, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. What leads to a hardness of heart? The foolishness in our heart that we are slow to believe and respond to what the prophets had already spoken. It was all lined out. It was all clear in the text that they had before them that they could be made right with God and have peace with God through the crucified Savior that they needed. But they still did not understand. I love Luke's Gospel. He says, they understood none of these things. But Jesus told them so that when things had come to fruition and they were accomplished, they would remember and they would know. He's saying, listen, this is not about you and Rome. This is about you and God. And he was weeping over those hard hearts, but, but he would also triumph as king over those hard hearts. Maybe you're one of those. I'm sure, I'm sure you are. I, I, I am. If, if any of us remember our story before we came to Christ, we had a hard heart. We had an unbelieving heart, a denying heart. But at some point, our hearts melted. At some points, our hearts softened and, and opened to the gospel, to the message of Christ, to see clearly who He is, to see clearly the Savior that we need. The king was weeping over a false peace that the people were embracing. And he was weeping over hard hearts. Finally, what do we learn in the triumphal entry? That the king, the king's visit must not be ignored. The king's visit must not be ignored. Let's look at the last part of our passage, verses 43 through 44. He got done weeping. He says, For the days will come, uh, they'll come on you when, when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Because. Now, let's stop there. We're going to get to the because in a minute. We know that Jesus even, even shows himself, and the apostles later say that, that this Jesus was the stone that was offered to us, but it was the stone that the builders rejected. They rejected the firm foundation of the stone of faith in Christ. And he became a stumbling block. They fell over it. And because they were falling over this stone, because they were rejecting Christ as the Savior they needed, Jesus said, then judgment is coming upon you from your enemies. They will barricade around you and surround you and hem you in. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. They will not leave one stone on another in your midst. This came true, by the way. 
This was a prophetic word from Jesus talking about when Jerusalem would be totally sacked. Within 40 years of Jesus saying this, Jerusalem is destroyed. It's wiped out. Why? Because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. You did not recognize the time when God came to you. When God came knocking on the door. When the Savior that you needed was right before you, you rejected Him. You pushed Him away. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That when we push Him away, we will see death. We will see ruin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, in Him is life. And that life must not be ignored. Later on, we see in the book of Acts, this is after the resurrection and after the Holy Spirit has indwelled believers now, and, and the apostles are going forward knowing full well who Jesus is, and, and they're knowing full well the, the Messiah that He needed them to be, and they have believed in faith and trusted Him in faith. And they're, they're doing acts, the acts of the apostles, right? They're, they're helping people, they're healing people, they're leading people to faith in Christ. And they're charged with that. And in Acts chapter 3, verses 13 and following, it says this. Uh, I think Peter is talking here. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified His servant Jesus. They're saying, look, Jesus is not who you thought He was. He's been glorified by the Father as a Savior. He says, the, the, Your servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied. Remember the point here, the king's visit must not be ignored. What did Israel do? They handed him over and denied him before Pilate, although he had decided to release him. And it says, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you instead. That's, that's Israel's heart. That's our heart. That when the king comes, when the king visits, we hand him over and deny him. We must not do that. He goes on, Peter says in verse 15, you killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Jesus came as the source of life and we handed Him over and denied Him and let Him die. We killed Him. And that rejection just increases. All week long, we're going to see that that, that it goes from this 100, 200,000 people in a crowd worshiping Jesus, laying their clothes down before Him, say, we'll be under your authority, to kind of starting to hide and scatter and, and move away from Jesus and deny Jesus, and then finally yell, crucify Him on Friday. Why? Well, John told us in his Gospel, chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, he said about Jesus that He was in the world and the world was, uh, was created through Him, and yet the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own, to His own people, and they did not receive Him. Right? They, they denied Him. They handed Him over. In verse 12 it says, but to all who did receive Him, He gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. See, Jesus came to give life that you and I would be born again, to be born new, through Him. He came to His own people, but His own people did not receive Him. But to those who did, He gave them life. See, listen, the King's visit must not be ignored. We must not continue to, to deny Him and hand Him over 
or to kill the source of light. We must receive and believe and be saved. I want to read one last passage today. Isaiah chapter 53. This was what Israel should have known as well. This is what they should have held on to with all their might. Not just that He's coming to rule and His dominion will be vast. But here's what it says in verse 3-5. through Speaking about Jesus, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone that people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value Him. Does that sound familiar? I know there are days in my, my own life that that's been true where I have despised and rejected Him. I didn't value Him. I turned away from Him. Israel, we see here, is handing Him over and denying Him and killing the source of life. But that Isaiah passage goes on. Even though they rejected Him, He didn't turn around and go back up the Mount of Olives and head out of town. He went down into the heart of it. And it says in verses 4 and 5, Yet, or although they despised and rejected Him, even though He Himself bore our sicknesses, and He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded Him as stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on Him and we are healed by His wounds. Even though we rejected Him, even though we pushed Him away, and maybe you've been doing that for a long time, He still died for you. He still died for me. He still died for, for us so that we could repent of our sin, humble our hearts before Him, and receive Him in faith as the Messiah that we truly need. We can have the peace that the King of Kings offers us if we would believe in faith that He is the one who died for us. He's the one who died in our place to accomplish what we could never accomplish. As we look at the triumphal injury, I pray that the King would triumph in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we, we yield before You. God, as we've looked at Your Word, we, we know that it resonates about us. We know that there are times in our life, maybe many times, maybe even today for some of us, that we are looking for a Messiah that we want, not the Messiah that we need. God, help us to see the Messiah for who He really is. The One who came to give Himself as a ransom for our sin. That through His payment through his death and through his resurrection that we could have life that we could have peace with God as we express faith in him and his finished work God I want peace today I want peace for everyone who's listening today I want their hearts to know you in a way they've never known you before God may they yield themselves to you and the triumph of the king on the cross and in our hearts we thank You and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.